0: This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The time now is 5 p.m. Stay tuned
1: for Driving Forces, coming up.
0: Welcome to Driving Forces, your weekly show about politics and policy that looks not just at the people who govern our city, state, and nation, but the issues, the controversies, the debates that dominate discussion. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful co host, Celeste Katz Marston. Good day, Celeste. Hey, hey Jeff. Good, good to be here with you today. Lots to talk about. I'm sure. So. I mean, what's a week without controversy?
2: Yeah, I know. I know. It's like a, it's like a day without sunshine. Right. And certainly no shortage of that uh, throughout the country, but also specifically in New York. We certainly have uh, a lot going on, uh, you know, a lot of news involving the state government, involving the governor. We can get to that. But uh, of course, you know, looking at the numbers on coronavirus, we're actually uh, I think it's a good thing that we're able to say that some things seem to be improving with coronavirus, which is which is great. We are seeing, um, you know, we are still seeing deaths. We're still seeing new cases. But hopefully we continue to turn that corner. I think coronavirus is something we've talked about a lot here on the program. And it's good to be able to take a moment to say that, you know, at least uh, in the specific case of nursing homes, you know, maybe we are reaching some sort of a turning point here.
0: Yeah, and I have to say that, as our listeners know, we're not, uh, Celeste and I are not saying you have to get Uh, vaccinated, but we want to bring you both sides of the conversation. We know a lot of our listeners, uh, a lot of our listeners are very uh, strong minded on this. I will tell you, Celeste, that what's been bittersweet over the last week, the the conversations that I've been having with people, some of whom are sending me in all caps emails, I got vaccinated, I've got an appointment. And then sadly, I'm still learning about people in my life. And it feels as if it's getting closer and closer. A whole family that I know have now tested positive. Uh, Another, unfortunately, a reporter that I had worked with passed away this past weekend, suddenly uh, from COVID. So it's still very much a part of our lives right now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just thinking about, uh, you know, I've been thinking about sort of how our lives have changed, how in some ways we've sort of settled into this, this very hunkered down position where we've become very used to things like conducting business from home when we can. There's certainly a lot of people on the front lines that are not able to do that. And we should thank them. But you know, just in the ways that our lives have come very dramatically different. Um, I'm happy to say that uh as of today i am now scheduled to receive my first dose of uh the covid vaccine and i'm very happy about that cuz certainly i want to protect my health uh, protect my family's health but also, just on a personal note, because of the pandemic, I live very far away from my parents, live, you know, more than a thousand miles away, have not been able to see them in person in well, well over a year. And, you know, that's that's been really hard for me. I'm very fortunate to say that they are in good health. But at the same time, you know, it's just another example of some of the things that we have really, you know, we've really had to put our lives on hold in a lot of ways
0: and you know similarly the uh my spouse uh my husband has not been able to see his parents now in over a year mm-hmm. uh and you know and his mother is at home barely going out very uh worried about the world around them and they are in their 80s yeah. And, you know, another thing to worry about,
2: obviously, is that even if we get vaccinated, we are now hearing more and more about the variants of the vaccine. And you know we're worried about how will the vaccine protect us or how much can it protect us if the virus continues to mutate? And, you know, I think that just again, on a personal note, it's really easy to look at some of this stuff and say, you know, Will it ever be over? Will we ever get past this? And so I think it's important to just take some time for yourself during the day when you can. We all have a lot going on. We are all under pressures and stresses of different kinds. But, you know, it is important really to just take a moment sometimes and just sort of take a breath and really sort of not let yourself get too bogged down in worrying about all these things you know it's good to be careful it's good to take precautions as much as possible but you know just again just a reminder to sort of take that time for yourself however small (laughs) it may be and and just sort of keep your hopes up don't get dragged
0: down into into worrying about this all the time. And so on this show today, you know, I'm sure that this topic will come up when our callers, uh, weigh in in the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our first guest ready, but before we get to him, uh, what has been So controversial here in New York State. Uh, you know, it it just feels like every day there's a new chapter. Uh, has been just all the controversy surrounding our governor, uh, Andrew Cuomo. Obviously, our listeners have weighed in on this before, Celeste, as you know, about uh, the nursing home scandal. Absolutely. And then in the last, what, 24, 48 hours, uh, we've seen allegations of inappropriate behavior. Uh, from former staffers against the governor who's remained largely silent about this, though his, the people around him have been pushing back.
2: Yeah, certainly we have seen some, you know, denials with some documentation from Governor Cuomo's office uh, after uh, a former staffer accused him of uh, unwanted touching, inappropriate conduct and saying that, you know, that there are other people who may be concerned about speaking out. This is becoming a topic of conversation. Uh, You know, there are some calls for. Uh, for Governor Cuomo to step down, certainly there are people who are saying that he has presented evidence that uh, that this wasn't the case and that people are conflating a lot of things here. So very complicated issues. Certainly, you know, people who have allegations like this should be heard. And that's what we're hearing from everywhere from the White House to uh, the mayor's office. And we will be talking about that a little further on in the program. So definitely stay tuned because we will want to hear from you about that.
0: So, and we will be able to give you the latest on some polls regarding the governor. So as Celeste and I have known each other for years, and as some of our regular listeners know, I've been on both sides of the fence. I've worked in journalism. I've also worked in government. I've interviewed elected officials. And on the other side, I've also helped shape their messaging and how they communicate what they say. And it's always fascinating. And Celeste, of course, knows this well, to watch press conferences and listen to them speak about an issue, respond to questions and react and note what they do. Who's saying what they also don't say and how they handle themselves.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I've covered a lot of press conferences where you see some uh, public officials maybe not being really prepared or not wanting to ask a que- uh, answer a question. That's always a big one. And it's our job as reporters, of course, to press them even when they don't want to answer. A convenient way to get out of that or to try to get out of answering question is to blame the media, to turn the tables, so to speak. And we certainly saw a lot of that with a former president, but we've also seen it with mayors who, who can get a little testy Um, In particular, I remember sitting next to a reporter at that time from the New York Observer back in uh, 2009, where uh, Michael Bloomberg objected to a question uh, about him running for potentially a third term. And he called the reporter a disgrace, he thought, off mic after the end of the press conference. But that actually ended up being sort of more of the news of the day, certainly than he would have expected. But, you know, it just he later apologized for for making that remark, calling a reporter a disgrace for
0: asking a question but i don't think that
2: incident really reflected very well on him
0: no and we've seen this so often with uh, our elected officials so this raises the question how do you become a better communicator not to massage the truth or come up with better ways to avoid the truth and yet seem sincere but to really engage with people better if you're an elected official in office the answer according to our first guest today is improvisation you heard me correctly improvisation can improve democracy that's democracy with a lowercase d and our first guest has written a book about that which we're going to discuss in just a moment so just to remind you we will be hearing from you in the second
2: half of the show we'd like to give you an early heads up that uh, we're going to be doing that and ask you to take down the number so you have it ready the number is 212-209-2877 212-209-2877 so
0: let's get to our first guest And our first guest is Don Weissenden, Professor of Communication at the Mars School of Public Affairs at Baruch College, which is part of the City University of New York, the CUNY system. He's the author of Political Conversion, Personal Transformation as Strategic Public Communication, but he also has another book published by SUNY Press called Improv for Democracy, How to Bridge Differences and Develop Communication Skills Our World Needs. Professor Weissenden has been a communications professor and consultant, a researcher of civic engagement and public discourse, and an improvisational performer in new york and los angeles over two decades and he's run run improv workshops across the world in both classroom and corporate settings, including a CUNY in Columbia and NYU. So as communicators, it's crucial not just to deliver a message, but to be good listeners, to find ways to bridge those differences. And in his book, Professor Weissenden demonstrates how improv can improve not just communication, but leadership and civic skills. Professor Weissenden, welcome to WBAI. Hi,
3: Jeff. Hi, Celeste. Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome to the show. So let's start off with an example of poor communication. So many of our elected officials are not good communicators. So in this last week, we think of Ted Cruz when he traveled to Cancun and how he handled that. And it made us wonder, how could improv change or improve Ted Cruz's empathy?
3: That's a great question. Uh, You know, just to start with, it's worth asking, uh, can you you know, improve the, uh, take a longtime politician and give them new tricks. I, I'm not here to answer that one. Uh, it'd be great if we could get Ted Cruz to pivot on the fly a little bit more. Uh, my, my whole book with this is about breaking off your default settings. And folks like Ted Cruz are so entrenched in their default settings, just habits of communicating uh, in the political world that are less than productive. Uh, and I think, honestly, with Ted Cruz, uh, some of it comes from his background as a debater, um, I love debate. I think debate is incredibly important. But improv, and an improviser's perspective, is more about thinking about meeting people in the moment, what's happening now, not just applying templates in your head to experience constantly. And I think we saw that a lot this these past couple weeks with him. Very tone-deaf tone approach, obviously, and an unwillingness to step forward and just say, I made a mistake, right, And blaming the media, blaming his daughter's, So uh, Ted Cruz has got a lot to learn uh, about empathy and improvisation.
2: So when we talk about improvisation, you sometimes you get an idea in your head about, you know, going to see like a comedy skit or doing an exercise in school and, and that kind of thing. But I think what you're talking about in the book in terms of improv is is a little bit different. So maybe for for everybody who's listening, can you just walk us through a little bit of what you have in mind when you say that improv could improve democracy. Sure. So what most people have in mind
3: probably is the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway? I grew up watching that show. Uh, Hilarious Curb Your Enthusiasm is a show that is almost entirely improvised and sketched out. Uh, So there's a whole track that's been improv for comedy and entertainment that most people are familiar with. Um, If you actually look at the the beginnings of the improvisational movement in the United States, though, there was always meant to be this other track that was about improv for human development and growth. Um, And many people, like Viola Spolin at Northwestern, were on these tracks originally. So um, over the years, many people have noticed, especially in the corporate world, that what improvisers do on a stage, what they do on a show like Whose Line Is It Anyway?, uh, it, it really holds a lot of potential for training people to think well, uh, to collaborate with others, to say in the classic words. Now, I think a lot of people are familiar with yes and, which is just trying to build with each other and co-create uh, that those those lessons, those learnings, those approaches have a lot to do with good communication and good leadership. Right. So uh, that's the track my book has been on. And I'm following. A whole slew of folks, for instance, uh, Alan Alda, the the old star of MASH, uh, started a whole Center for Communicating Science at SUNY uh, Stony Brook, where they take scientists and they go through weeks of improvisational training to improve their communication skills, their presentation skills, and they've had incredible results with that. So all of this got me asking, I've seen this move into fields like healthcare, uh, as well as science and you name it. I was wondering, I wonder if this would would have something to offer our civic world, our political life. And so the book really takes up that task. And one of the primary assumptions of all of it is that uh, following the work of a guy uh, named Barnett Pierce, uh, wrote a lot of works about this, our our knowledge of the medical world, the technological world, has just been, uh, you know, medical sciences has been exponentially increasing, and there's been remarkable developments in those fields. We need that same kind of exponential increase in knowledge and performance with social skills, with the way that people communicate with each other, our understandings of communication. So that's very much the spirit in which this project was engineered.
0: And I'm glad you said that about social skills, because so many of our electeds uh, deliver monologues instead of engaging in dialogue. So talk about the how they can learn. And even our listeners, take for a few takeaways from this, how can they change from delivering monologues to engaging in dialogues?
3: Well, first of all, I think starting with a little bit more of a playful attitude would help. There have been moments, uh, at least here in the U.S. in the history of our politics, where politicians have approached each other with a little bit more of a joyful rather than a somber attitude i think that would be a great start because that's something improv has to offer um at at the city university of new york we often run dialogues and deliberations on very contentious political issues and we never want to approach any of this with a kumbaya this is all just holding hands and we're all getting along that's not it at all What we are saying is let's stop getting so stuck in in such a Such a a fixed perspective, fixed bodies. What improv does is it it unleashes that. It it helps us peel off the layers and try new choices. My number one thing with all of this is new choice. A lot of what we've had with civic education, civic development, civic engagement uh, is working very well, but we could go further. Let's make some new choices, try something new. And I think that, you know, that alone, just starting with joy and a bit more play, and a bit more uh, good-natured humor toward others would really help.
2: So if you are just tuning in, you're listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI. We're talking to Don Wisen, he's professor of communication at the Mars School of Public Affairs at Baruch College. And we're talking about his book, Political Conversion, Personal Transformation. Excuse me. Uh, well, we did write that one. We're all talking today, though, about improv for democracy, how to b- uh, bridge differences and develop communication skills our world needs. So, uh, Professor Wisen, do you ever watch, uh, you know, Uh, political press conferences or forums, stuff like that, and just say, boy, you know, I really seeing somebody having a moment here where they could use a different approach where improv could really uh, help them communicate better or could could avoid, you know, really bad conflict situation or, you know, just maybe some examples so people can get an idea of of how this could make things work better.
3: That's great. I think that coming with some structure to a press conference, if you're a politician, is absolutely neat. you just come, to, uh, come come to the table with something to say that's important. It shouldn't just be completely freewheeling, winging it. Right? We've seen that before, um, which I think doesn't show much care to the audience. It, it's just completely improvised. So um, one of the things I say in the book is uh, off of Bernard and Short. This isn't winging it. It's a highly refined system for listening, observing, and responding at a more heightened level. And we typically might. So you might come with your speech, with your pitch, talk to the talk to the press. But at any moment, you should be willing to drop your script in order to really adapt to people in the moment. What's happening? Read the room. Think about the tone. Uh, express empathy when that seems warranted. Right. There's so much you can never plan for in a press conference situation. And I'll give you just one example I've learned about quite recently that I love. Uh, I learned this from a student that uh, from Denmark said that Prime Minister Fredrickson in Denmark uh, all throughout this last year has been holding press conferences not only for the public in Denmark but turns to the side uh, gets on view with another camera and has a press conference for children uh, to tell the children of Denmark about you know what's happening with COVID why they shouldn't worry and I thought that that is a incredible example of good improvisation good adaptation that you're you're willing to undergo this strain of adapting to different people in the moment.
0: So I want to go back to something you said just a short while ago about never going off script. I mean, you, uh, I've known you, so you know what I do. I'm this guy who helps uh, people stay on script when they do interviews. And I, I've done that in the past with elected officials as well, but you write that public relations firms add to this mess by, by uh, uh, advising their political clients never to go off script. So, uh, Tell me why that's right.
3: <laughs> I think it's it's right because it's accurate, right? There's no, it brings up the question, how predictable does the world have to be to you, right? And if the world has to be completely predictable, a politician's going to come up, a public figure will come up and, and just read or have talking points and not break beyond them whatsoever. The one exception I would give for this, by the way, just in advance, is crisis communications. If there's a truly, truly, nuanced uh you know where legalese and imp- w- wording is really really important i i'd say you know i i get it i understand those situations the script can be uh really really important but uh absent that you know you think of like great stand-up comedians right they stand-up, they come with material but at any moment there's a heckler in the audience something happens that they didn't plan for they adapt to it in the moment and that's what makes those performances electrifying um, I think often of, of an example from about 10 years ago, I used to live in Los Angeles and there was a, a train crash between an Amtrak train and an MTA uh, Southern California train. and there was a tremendous loss of life with this. And there was an MTA spokesperson who came up and uh, just wanted to make everything scripted. And then one of his staff came up and just started really empathizing with the audience. It was, it was unscripted. and I thought, you know the difference between these two figures in that moment, was was very powerful like one one approach was just completely everything had to be determined and the other one was i'm going to be here with you and let's talk right it had a more more of a feeling of a dialogue than a monologue uh being called for in that moment
2: and i would just be curious to know also i mean is there anything in this approach or in this mindset that can be used to kind of uh, diffuse tension or redirect a conversation that is not going well, that's getting hostile. You know, at the beginning of the program, we were talking about COVID and that carries a lot of stresses and that's really sort of changed the way we live. And I think that it might be helpful for people to know like, is there, is there a way to sort of get things back on track through this kind of approach um, when things are getting too dark or getting too hostile?
3: Yeah, um- you know, I think one of the one of the fundamental things is that you in improv in the world of improv, coming out of improv theater, you're you're pushing your your vision outward, your peripheral vision outward. You're looking for more voices. You're looking for opportunities to not only step forward but step back at any moment. And I think that's critical to diffusing conflict. Right? Conflict is often people getting stuck in singular choices and not exercising any kind of narrative flexibility and openness to other stories. Right? So. Sometimes just the simple, I may not agree with you, but I am truly going to listen to you and focusing on that other person and say, I'm going to step back. I really want to hear from you. I'm going to limit the number of words that I'm going to use. So we sometimes use that in this approach to conflict training. can really help. Um, we, we, a lot of this is about opening space for communication with others rather than closing it down very quickly, which is a lot of our political discourse right now.
0: And, Professor, we've only got about a minute or so left uh, before we wrap, Uh, but, you know, I'm putting you a little on the spot right here. Uh, If there was one improv exercise that would have helped Donald Trump, what would it have been?
3: Oh, that's very clear for me, Jay, and I'm going to have to go with two rapid fire ones. One is new choice. Well, actually, you know what? I would just love to see Donald Trump use humor in a way that wasn't knocking other people down. I'd love to see all the forms of humor you can use where we're laughing together and not at each other, I would love to see that. And improv has a lot. Of, we we'd we run a new choice exercise with him on that. Um, and anything just to play other roles than you typically play, I would get Donald Trump to do that. Hey, let's play Occupation Panel. You're a carpenter. You're going to you're going to have this conversation from the perspective of a carpenter. Um, I've never seen Donald Trump take the perspective of someone else. And that's uh, improv can help with that.
2: Perfect. So, uh, Don Wiseman, uh how can people find out more about you and your book, Improv for Democracy, How to Bridge Differences and Develop Communication Skills Our World Needs?
3: Great. The Improv for Democracy is available on Amazon. You can just uh, type that right in there. Uh, I also have more information about some of my work at DonWiseman.com. Uh, just straight my name or at the Mark School of Public and International Affairs.
2: Perfect. Professor Washington, thanks so much for joining us today on Driving Forces. Thank you both. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Marston here with Jeff Simmons on Thursday. So, Jeff, that was a good conversation, actually. And I think that uh, the professor brought up a, a bunch of points, including people being willing to listen to other people is kind of a big deal.
0: This was such an interesting book and what was difficult for for me in reading it, I kind of wish you and I were in the room together reading it because it has so many exercises, but it's not easy to do that alone. You need someone and it's not easy to do over the radio and it's not easy to even just do if you and I are over the phone. You really need to see each other as well because it's not just about what you say, but about how you look and how you act.
2: Well, which is which is interesting because now so much again going back to the COVID thing, so much of our our work and our interaction is uh, not something where there's a visual. I mean, yeah, we have Zoom meetings or, or uh, Google Hangouts or Microsoft Teams or whatever it is. We're not uh, we're not promoting any one communication form, but a lot of it is email and texts. And you lose so much tone when you don't hear uh, the sound of another person's voice or see their expressions and so on. It it really is a different form of communication. And I think to some degree it can be kind of isolating. But I think the idea of at least letting other people talk. So Jeff, let me talk. Just kidding. But, you know, (laughs) uh, the idea of listening to other people and letting them know that you're going to do that uh, makes a lot of sense. I can see a lot of situations uh, that that might not get quite so heated
0: if people at least felt like they were being heard. So we're getting ready for uh, we're going to take a break in just a minute or so. But uh, what's been wonderful today, Celeste, is the weather has been much warmer. Definitely. And it's nice, nice and likely. I, I, unfortunately, I've not even been outside yet today. That's going to happen after this show for a little while so I can take a walk. Good. But the reason I bring this up is because now that with warmer weather, with people getting outside more, there right. is the recommendation that you wear two masks, not just one to add another layer of protection. And Celeste and I are doing our part and doubling up on our masks. And Celeste, what should people do if they need another face mask? Well, actually,
2: and this is something I think both you and I have done, and I am looking at it right now, but if you want to make sure you have an extra mask uh, to protect yourself and your family from uh, transmission, spread of coronavirus, I have to say one thing you can do is for your uh, generous contribution of $35 to WBAI, you can support independent, non-commercial, free speech radio and you can receive a gift of a 100 percent premium cotton face mask with the bai logo and obviously wearing masks with a logo or the design has become a big thing i can't believe this is the fashion statement um you know era that we live in but if you are going to speak up for something free speech radio is definitely a good one so just go to wbai.org Check it out. $35 donation. Now, it's not a surgical mask. It's not an N95 mask, but it's part of what Americans all over the place are doing and probably going to have to keep doing for a while to protect themselves, which is double up on masks. Make sure your face is covered when you're in proximity to other people, when you're indoors. Um, this is a great way to do it. And most importantly, you help support independent non-commercial free speech radio.
0: And on a previous show, I think, Celeste, you had said your favorite color is black. They come in black, but they also come in
2: white. Yes, absolutely. So you can reuse it. It's washable, two layers of cotton fabric. Uh, You know, it's one size fits all cover your nose, cover your mouth. And, you know, they are importantly made in the USA. So you can be uh, you can feel good about that again for your thirty five dollar donation to support free speech radio. We know how important information is right now. Reliable sources of information. We always do uh, our very best job here on Driving Force is to bring you interesting people, people in power, people in scholarship, people in the community, people uh, who can explain to us about this this really complicated time we live in. And so the way to help us, to uh, support us in doing that uh, for your $35 donation, please just check it out, WBAI.org. Click on Ways to Donate. And there are lots of different ways to help show your support for WBAI. We've been in the community for over 60 years. I'd like to stay for another 60 at least. So please check it out, WBAI.org.
0: And we're going to take a a short break in just a moment. Earlier this week, it was Nina Simone's birthday, born in 1933. It's now been nearly two decades since she lost her life. So in her memory, in her honor, as we take this brief break, we'd like to play one of her more memorable songs, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood.
4: Baby, you understand me now. Sometimes, baby, I'm so carefree Yeah, but that's one thing
2: And that was Nina Simone with Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York. 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, joined by Jeff Simmons. So thanks for joining us this afternoon. And if you've been listening to the program for a while, you'll know that each week we've been revisiting some of the people that I spoke with in 2020 as part of a series that I worked on called New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And we talked to people from all walks of life, all ages, all occupations about how how COVID was affecting the way they lived. And the youngest person I spoke to uh, for that series was Alicia Joseph. At the time, she was a 17-year-old high school senior. She's from Brooklyn. She was attending the Chapin School on the Upper East Side and getting ready to head to college. She was interested in uh, pursuing a career that had to do with working with children. And she's going to join us in a few minutes to catch up with us to see what's happened uh, in the time that's passed since we spoke to her for that interview. But first, we're just going to take a moment and listen back to the original interview. Here's that interview now. You're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This is New York in Crisis, WBAI's coronavirus diary.
5: My name is Alicia Joseph. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I go to the Chapin School on the Upper East Side. Being a senior and knowing that I won't have my senior traditions in the time that I expected is super difficult, but my school has been really on top of making their students feel very like safe and reassured that we are going to be celebrated in one way or another um, we have a couple of zoom calls that will celebrate the senior class and my school is also moving commencement and prom to either August or November so I feel really reassured that I will be celebrated in the way that I um, the way that I feel like I should be celebrated but at the same time it's sad that it's not during the time I expected it to be. I expected to be finishing my classes, and I'm also the dance team's vice president, so I think just leading the show was what I was really looking forward to, and just not having that opportunity makes me really sad. But also just, like, graduating with my friends, going to prom, and just making a lot of memories with my teachers and friends. I learned a lot about the power of community, I think during this time and not being around people, I think we have a deeper appreciation for the people in our lives and how strong those relationships truly are. I'm a part of the community-based organization Breakthrough New York. I've been with them since I was in sixth grade. They've been really on top of making sure that their students are well supported. They send out a lot of emails about different resources for students just in case that they don't have a TV provider or internet service or just resources to make sure that they're getting their best education. My teachers generally do care about their job and that they actually want to see us succeed and they want us to feel happy in the environment that we're in. So they're putting their best foot forward, even though this is not the best situation to be in. From a friend to friend perspective, I truly value the memories that we have right now. I think when we're in school, we're so caught up with just having a good time with one another and we're not really thinking about, like, this is a memory that I will keep with me forever. And I think now that we're in this situation, I fully understand the impact my friends have had on me and the impact I have on my friends. And I think I just have a deeper love for them and I miss them very much. Um, my dad doesn't live with me, so I haven't seen him for a very long time in person. And I just, I have a deeper understanding and appreciation for the family dynamic um I have I'm spending a lot of time with my mom and I love her so much I think we grew a lot closer during this time and my dad he was affected with um by corona so I think just being affected on a personal level it just made me appreciate our relationship even more and I know that we're working super hard to um make our bond stronger After I graduate from high school, I think I'm going to spend a lot more time with my family and friends if um, the environment allows. I think after high school, I'm going to focus a lot on what I want to do as a career. I know that I want to work with children. So this summer, if we're allowed to work or allowed to be out with other people more frequently, I think I'm going to um, do an internship in where I can work with children again. I would say, hold on to the memories that you have right now. I think it's during this time, just take the time to actually sit down and reflect on all the great memories that you have. And even though things aren't working out the way that you want to, you still have a whole future ahead of you where you can have even better memories with the people that you'll meet in the future. And I understand that it's super hard right now that we all expected that we would be celebrating things together, but we still have that bond that keeps us united. So even though we don't have physical events to go to we always have those relationships
2: alicia joseph is a high school senior from brooklyn stay tuned for more installments of new york in crisis wbai's coronavirus diary and for the latest news and updates on covid19 And we just heard there from uh, Alicia Joseph that I spoke to, uh, a student that I spoke to from Brooklyn uh, for our series, uh, New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And now we're very happy to welcome Alicia Joseph back to the program, speaking to us from Memphis, Tennessee. So, Alicia, welcome back to BAI. Hi,
6: thank you so much for having me again
2: really appreciate it. So so let's catch up. So when I last spoke to you you were getting ready to graduate from high school and sort of yeah. all the regular traditions and customs and ceremonies were were sort of a little derailed by the pandemic. So what ended up happening? How did you end up celebrating your graduation from high school? And congratulations by the way.
6: Thank you so much. Of course. So we didn't actually end up having a graduation. They have moved our graduation to June of 2021. So hopefully if the space allows and everything settles down and back in New York, then we should have our in-person graduation um, in the location that we intended to have it in 2020. Um, I really appreciate that they um, are very adamant making sure that the class of 2020 has their celebration in person like we deserve to have um, in 2020. Um, Yeah, I don't think much has happened after that. We kind of just said bye to each other. We had a virtual graduation and they said we're going to come back to you guys in a couple of months to let you know what's going to happen with your graduation in the following year. So we're constantly being updated about our graduation for for 2021.
2: Wow, it's it's sort of amazing to. I mean, we're already here, um, you know, towards the end of February, and we're we're talking about yeah. something that should have happened months ago. So how did you end up spending your summer?
6: I actually did not
2: get a job this summer an internship
6: like I thought I would have. I spent my summer talking to friends and family and bonding with them before I left for college because I had assumed that I was going to go to college in person in August, but I we actually ended up having our first semester um, online. So wow. um, I didn't end up working, but I was very grateful that I got to spend my time with family and friends before I thought I was going to leave.
0: So tell us, uh, Alicia, tell us what the experience has been like in college now, because obviously things are not the same as when Celeste and I were in college and we had classroom instruction where the rooms might have been packed with students. I'm assuming that things are completely different now.
6: Yes, things are very different. For first semester, it was very difficult at first for me to adjust to not being in a classroom setting, even though I did have that for the end of my high school career. Um, and especially in being a completely new school, not really knowing anyone, it was very difficult to form relationships with people because after class ended, people would just leave the Zoom call. So there was never actually a chance for us to bond with one another. But when I got to campus this semester, um, it it's still very difficult. It's a difficult process trying to adjust because we're now in our second semester of school and we're taking classes in person and virtual at the same time while managing joining clubs and interacting with people and networking. So it's very difficult to manage now but um our school does provide resources and such to support students
2: yeah you know alicia that's interesting because uh you know, obviously getting to, to go to college, be away from home, meet new people, like all that stuff is super exciting. But, you know, at the same time, this is obviously a really difficult period of history to to do that. Yeah. Um, I do know some kids, you know, even some people in my own family who uh, made a different choice, which is they decided to take a year, uh, sort of a gap year and, and yeah. do something else and sort of delay that. Like, what went through your mind when you were making the decision about, should you try to do college in this really unusual kind of difficult way or you know maybe wait until things got better whenever whenever that may be? Yeah
6: Yeah. I definitely did spend time thinking about whether or not I wanted to come to campus this semester but I do really value human interaction even though it's not that much human interaction and I personally felt as though it would have been best for me and my own joy and happiness in doing school if I came to campus and just experience being in a new place, because that is why I did choose to come to the South. I wanted to experience a different pace of life. And even if I'm not able to make as much friends as I would like to or join as many clubs as I would have liked, I still have the one thing that I truly wanted, which was a new pace of life. So it was a difficult decision to make, and I had to make it with my family. But I'm in the end, I'm very happy that I chose to come here this semester.
0: Alicia, we've asked a lot of our guests previously whether, you know, they might be talking about some governmental policy, but we've always wanted to know personally how they've been affected by COVID. How has COVID affected you and your family since you and Celeste last spoke?
6: Yes. So I actually did have COVID um, three weeks into coming into Rhodes this semester. It was extremely difficult. I didn't have any symptoms and I didn't pass COVID on to any of my friends. So I'm very grateful for that. But this is like actually the first time where I was isolated by myself, because when we had quarantine in New York, I still got to see my mom and occasionally see my dad. But this is the first time that I actually was by myself. And it was very, very difficult for me to adjust to because I had just gone to campus and I was very excited that I, had to de- I got to decorate my dorm room and be with my friends every day. But now nah, I was by myself battling COVID, and I didn't expect for that to happen to me so soon. It was extremely difficult.
2: And I mean, is is this something that that kids in school are talking about a lot or do you feel like in terms of the, the culture and and, you know, studying? I mean, obviously, you're there to 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 learn and to study and to take classes yeah. and so on. But I mean, is covid kind of like a big conversation topic or people always talking about it or do people try not to talk about it?
6: I think it's 50-50. I think people are talking about it, but they don't want it to get to the point where it interferes with the joy that they have while being on campus. We're very much aware of um, the possibilities of catching COVID while on campus and everyone's being as safe as they can. And we're making sure that we're following the rules that the school has provided, but we also don't want to let it um, overpower our experience here. And we don't want to become super, super consumed with what COVID could possibly do to us to the point where we're not actually happy on campus. So I think it's 50 50. I think we our school is doing a pretty good job making sure that we're still a part of a conversation about covid on campus but also making sure that we're having a decent time
2: here. Yeah, cuz I just remember, you know, back in the stone age in the <laughs> in the neolithic age when when I was in college and then at the beginning of time when Jeff was in college, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that uh, I mean, just Being at crowded parties, being at at like, you know, music performances or being in in small group uh, courses for language or, or, you know, um, you know, we used to call it section, which is you'd have your a big lecture class and then you'd have smaller conversations with, you know, a a subsection of people like that was just, you know. It's such, it's such a big part of the experience and also, you know, dating and stuff like that or, or yeah. hanging out with friends in a room. It's just, um, you know, do you feel like you're able to find ways around like having those kinds of experiences or, or is it like troubling?
6: I think, well, we don't have any parties because that would be terrible for our health on campus. Um, but I think people are becoming a lot more comfortable being on Zoom and sitting far away from one one another, so I think we're adjusting quite well, but obviously it's not going to be the reality that we had expected it to be, but I think students are trying their best, and they're, they're making do with what they have. So.
0: So, Alicia, we've got just about a minute left. And when you last spoke with Celeste, you had talked about that people should hold on to their memories. So what over this last year are you going to remember most?
6: I think I'm going to remember how independent I've become um, within the last year. I think because of COVID and being by ourselves and having to manage our time by ourselves and not, we're not being able to do the things that we had expected and depended on previously. I think I've become extremely independent and I've learned to manage situations on my own because we're all going through this at the same time and we're all new to this um, experience. So we have to do things on our own. And I think also being far away from home during COVID has forced me to be even more independent and make better decisions for myself and just be aware of everything that I'm doing and do things with intentionality. So
2: yeah. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for, for catching up with us today. Thank you for doing the original interview. And I'm very glad to hear that you're, you know, uh, trying to make the best of a, a very strange time to be starting out in college. Very glad that you yeah. have uh, recovered from COVID and, and stay thank in touch. So we'll, be, we'll be interested to uh, to follow all your your progress and your successes. Thank you.
6: Have a good day.
2: Okay. Thanks so much. And again, that was Alicia Joseph. She's a a student or was a high school student just graduating from the Chapin School when I originally spoke to her for our series, New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary. And if you missed any part of that series, you can always check it out at
0: WBAI.org. So now we're going to open up the phone lines. Here's the number, 212 209 2877 two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We wanna we wanna know uh what you thought I mean it could be about anything, but really our first guest today, Don Wissen and the professor talked about how improv can make better leaders. So we want to know what you think about that. You could talk about a specific person, say a former president or Ted Cruz. Do you agree, <laughs> disagree? What are the skills you want to see in our elected officials?
2: yeah absolutely and i I thought that uh Don Weson was a really interesting guest because he does speak to something important that's going on right now, which is uh you know the fact that a lot of our conversation uh, in this country for at least a while there has really been a pro- you know there's really been a problem with people not listening to each other, people talking past each other, people having really entrenched opinions and viewpoints and and sort of not having those exchanges that help us solve problems so So do you think things are really going to be any different during the Biden administration or uh, going ahead in New York City or New York State? Or do you feel like things are just not going to change? How do you think they could be changed? 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org.
0: And so let's just mention Biden. I'm also thinking about what's going on here in New York City when we have a mayor's race with upwards of 30 candidates. I think someone floated the number of 40 (laughs) today. Yeah, we have a mayor's race, races for council. I thought it was going to be about 500 candidates. I'm hearing now that number is closer to about 300 candidates in our five boroughs for council, controller candidates, borough president. The reason I bring this up. I'm curious if you are seeing candidates that are communicating with you what, the, what they'll do to run our city, but also having the dialogues and not basically doing monologues. Um, uh, you know, are, are they resonating with you? So with that, I believe we have a caller on the line or callers on the line. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind today?
7: Hello. Hi. What's your name? Hi, um, my name is Elbos. I'm from West Harlem.
0: Welcome to WBAI. What's on your mind today?
7: Yes, um, I, w- I want to say I think we need more honest and less corporate-captured politicians and people that's learning to improv and being able to lie better because that's all that's that's all they're going to do with that. You know, you could take the case in point, Governor Cuomo, who's had this scrutiny coming for him for a very long time. He's completely corporate-captured. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see somebody's trying to do something about this guy. You know, um, yeah, so as far as improv and, and, and all of that, that's just what we need is, is less corporations, less corporately captured politicians and more honesty. Our people are suffering We're in the deadliest pandemic of our lifetimes. And, you know, within within Biden's first month, he's broke, he's broke every promise that he's made. Right. And, and this. This has to be cost corrected, or you know, a, a third of the country is going to be doomed. Calls go two one two
2: two oh nine two eight seven seven. That's two one two two oh nine two eight seven seven. And let's go to our next caller, W B A I. You're on the hey, air. On, What's your name on. and where are you calling from? Hold on. Okay, that is Reggie, our heroic engineer, <laughs> trying to wrangle all this technology. It is not easy, and we we always make a point okay. in every show. We always make a point in every show to thank Reggie for holding together all the moving parts of this program, and uh, especially now. So, uh, Reggie, just let us know when we are good to go. Okay, we are. Okay, great. So, I think we have another caller, WBAI. You're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from?
1: Yeah, Hammer. I'm from Queens.
2: Okay, what's going on?
1: Yeah, I'm calling um, because... A lot of people in this country uh, we have more of uh, a crisis of of knowing the Constitution of the United States which that's our, what our country is based on we don't have leaders and thank God we don't that's when the, um, the people before us signed this you know constitution they made sure that we didn't have leaders okay we have public service. And the thing being is we live in a republic, and they keep up calling it a democracy, and it's a republic. And the problem with a lot of things that a lot of people don't understand is knowing what the law, the true law is. The uh-huh. legislation, they do not make the laws; They make, they're the caretakers of the country. We already have laws. If you want to change the laws, we have the laws that are in the Constitution, which is called amendments and this is what the problem is that a lot of people don't understand the true law, of, true law of the country and this is the problem we have so when como decides that he has to shut down everything shut down businesses and everything we have to make people accountable you okay I'm not saying the coronavirus is real or not i'm saying that the thing being is they should have in everybody's face okay a hundred percent this is what the coronavirus is.
7: But
1: mm-hmm. uh, You do the research, and by wearing the mask, they say 50%, it, it protects you 50%, 70%. You only need one virus to get into your body. You don't need 50%, 40%. So the thing uh-huh. being is with the mask and everything, and people not doing the research, these people have to be held accountable. You shut down the whole country but you uh, the, uh, with their say. That's a big deal. And we don't live in China and we don't
0: live in Korea. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank you so much. We have, uh, and that is our final call for the day, actually. Reggie, thank you for letting us know that. Um, Celeste, I mean, look, what I love about WBI listeners is they're opinionated. And that's why I love this show. And what we're going to do is in a future episode, we will make sure we have a lot more time for the calls uh, and a lot more opportunity for you to weigh in.
2: Yeah, so absolutely. And we do want to uh, thank today's guests. I think we had two really interesting segments today, two very different segments, but uh, both interesting in their own ways. Uh, Don Weisenden, author of Improv for Democracy. And then we heard from student Alicia Joseph from our 2020 series, New York in Crisis, WBAI's Coronavirus Diary.
0: Yes, Celeste. Then I noticed that you had said that, what, uh, I went to college at the beginning of time. I think that was something. That...
2: The beginning of time. That's, that is what I said. And to, to everybody out there in radio land, I, I am, uh, I, I'm, I'm just speaking the truth here,
0: just letting well, you know. Well, thank you and i also do want to uh echo what celeste said a little while ago and thank our wonderful engineer reggie johnson for everything that he's been doing to make the show happen i'm sure our bai listeners know that we're all remote now we're also celeste and i are volunteers and i just do as we get ready to close the show i do want to remind you that as there's this conversation about and recommendations that we double mask Mm -hmm. that if you're gonna get another mask why not do two things at once? Get the mask and support WBAI. And you can get it in white or black. They're wonderful masks. They show your pride. I'm seeing more elected officials now, right now in campaign season, putting their you know their names on their masks. But you know what? Do something that's more universal. Buy. buy. Donate to WBAI. $35 to get one of these masks. You can do it in the name of this show or any of the shows you like. And the way to do it is to go to the WBAI website at WBAI ai.org or just call 516-620-3602
2: Absolutely. Again, that's go to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. You can become a BAI buddy. You have a lot of different options uh, for supporting the station, and you have a lot of different options for how you would like us to show you our thanks. So thanks again for tuning in to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. See you on the radio.
4: Marcia Pendleton, producer and host of Backstage Stories on WBAI New York. Our celebration of Black History Month continues with Ron Simons and Brian Moreland. They are members of a very small club. Black Lead Producers on Broadway. Find out about their current projects, their professional journeys, their commitment to mentoring more producers of color, and what a new Broadway will look like post-pandemic. Join us on Thursday, February 25th at 9 p.m. for Backstage Stories.
1: 5 p.m. February 26th is your last chance to comment to the Public Service Commission about the Indian Point Nuclear Power Plant License Transfer. This is a call to action.
5: On the next Ecologic cleaning up Indian Point and radiation and your health, Ecologic is asking you to write comments to make a difference. This is what WBAI is all about. This is why you need to support public radio. This is where we excel getting our voices heard, and making our world safer. We
1: have incredible people to speak to you about a disturbing situation 24 miles north of New York City and how radioactivity affects human health. Joe Mangano, Susan Hito Shapiro, and Mary Olson will be Ecologic's guests on Friday, February 26th at 2 p.m.
5: We know you want to support issues that are near and dear to your heart. This is it. Tune in to Ecologic at 2 p.m. Friday, February 26th.
7: City has 5.4 million renters and one
3: mayor. One mayor who greatly impacts the lives of two-thirds of the city. This year, we'll elect a new mayor. Tune in this Saturday at 11 a.m. as the leading mayoral candidates answer questions about tenants by tenants. It's the 2021 Mayoral Candidate Forum on Tenants' Rights, Saturday, February 27th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. on WBAI. 99.5 FM and WBAI.org.
0: This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. The previous program was Driving Forces and that is heard Thursdays at 5 p.m. Stay tuned for the WBAI evening news coming up